podcast, ladies and gentlemen. We're going to get into two different clips tonight. One out of Chicago, and oh, brace yourself for that one. And one out of New York. Now, we know Chicago and New York has been cities that a lot of people that have come from south of the border have been shipped to. And it's been causing issues and problems for those particular cities. And shout out to New York and Chicago. There's a lot of good people in those cities. Um, every time I go to any of these cities where the brothers and sisters are at, I always get love when I go. So we had one of our brothers um, send us these action clips. and appreciate Brother James uh, for that. He went to AfricanDiasporaNews.org. We have a contact form. You can fill out a contact form. You can send us links. You can send us uh, pictures, things like that. Because when you tell me something, give me a link. Give me a, some sort of evidence that we can look this stuff up and let me know what's going on. That's the best way to get in contact with us, AfricanDiasporaNews.org. And you have the contact uh, form there. Utilize it. Just like last night, Jason Lee. You know, Sister Demetria passed that particular link on to me. Um, of course, she's not going to use form. She has direct access. But on this first clip, what we're going to get into is Chicago. Well, you know, a lot of you brothers and sisters in Chicago are struggling, right? You're struggling. You're trying to make ends meet. You're paying taxes. I know you see the title. Well, I want you to listen to this. Now, do any of you in the city of Chicago who could be listening, are you getting paid $135 an hour? Uh, not a day, an hour? Let's roll that. Voices obtained by NBC5 Investigates show employees of a private company, Favorite Staffing, which run the city's migrant shelters, have made at least $135 an hour, in some cases more. In one invoice, a facility manager made $14,000 in a week in December. Okay, let me just stop for a second. $14,000 a week this man was making. Some of you don't even make that in, in even half a year. In Chicago. Another invoice shows a nurse earned more than $20,000 in one week. Those figures do account for overtime. To see invoices like that are disgusting. They're outrageous. And they should be cause for an, investiga an immediate investigation. Do you have an accounting for all the dollars you're going? Uh, no, we haven't been. And I think that's uh, the big concern that came up today was that we're willing to accept federal dollars. We're willing to give dollars to these issues. But we need to see where every penny is spent. NBC5 investigates filed public records requests three months ago. So far, we've received just two invoices, contracts, and a spreadsheet showing since October the city has spent at least $83 million on companies and organizations that provide care to the 13,000 migrants now in Chicago. As you saw, ladies and gentlemen, $83 million of your tax dollars went for the care of just 13,000 people. Well, yet the city of Chicago has millions of people there, in, at least in the, in the city and the surrounding areas, right, that needs to be taken care of. The homeless population in Chicago is majority Black American, and they're not getting any of these $83 million of funds. But Alderman voted Thursday to accept another $33 million in federal money, but raised some concerns that it comes without knowing where the current dollars are being spent. Something we asked Mayor Brandon Johnson about. Can you and your administration commit to being more transparent and release some of the documents that have been withheld? So let me just make sure that you're clear and everybody else is clear here. Every single Monday, there's a conversation with alders 
who are part of a working group. Every Friday, there's an email that is sent so that all the elders can see it. We have released information providing the details of the fact that when we appropriated the first $51 million, I was the person that said that the vast majority of them went to staffing. Now, if you're looking for some more specific items, what you want to know about, like how much this costs for spoons or forks, I, I just want you to be very clear that we have released a very detailed response of how we are dealing and addressing this humanitarian endeavor. If you're asking for us to do it on a more regular basis, of course we can do that. Well, ladies and gentlemen that live in Chicago, as you heard, they're getting $33 million from the federal government to, to help with those costs of 13,000 people. I think the $33 million should be going to the citizens of Chicago. But yet, this is the policy of the Democrat Party. You see, if these Democrat mayors actually had a backbone and say, we're not spending city funds for anything. These people come over here, they on their own. They on their own. I was elected by the citizens of Chicago to take care of them. These people did not vote for me. They're not people I'm obligated to take care of. Listen, they, I hear their stories. I hear it. But I'm not obligated to do anything. I have to take care of the citizens first. And then once all the citizens are taken care of and they got all the services they need, we got a homeless population out here that is about to get ice cold and snow out here in Chicago. And I have a, a, a homeless population that I have to get off the streets and get them some sort of shelter. I, we got to do this. We got to take those funds to do this. I don't have time for that. Now, they can go to, to somewhere else with that. They got states like Montana and Idaho and Wyoming and all these places that that don't have many people at all. They can go there. Why are they coming here? See, if you had a backbone, that's what you would say. Because that would be the right thing. And then if you had a backbone, you would tell the, even the Democrat Party, hey, we're not a sanctuary city anymore. So if you come here, don't expect not a single service. We're not helping you. Matter of fact, we're going to actually take you and drop you off over there uh, with, with the federal government. And then they build it. And you can stay over there. You're not staying here in our police station. You're not uh, taking up our services. It's just not happening. Because what's going to happen is Brandon Johnson is going to be a one-term mayor too. See, Democrat people do not care about the political life of Brandon Johnson. They want to use him just as much as they're using Mayor Adams. The only difference with Mayor Adams is that Mayor Adams is starting to speak out now, and the Democrats are angry with him now. Or even dare speaking out about what's going on. Now, Brandon Johnson, he didn't speak out against the situation as of yet. He, I guess he's not up to his neck with it, right? But you're seeing what the priority of the Democrat Party is, taking your tax dollar in the millions of dollars and using it on other people. That has been the Biden policy, taking American tax dollars and using it on everyone else except the American people. They talk about the infrastructure deal and, and all of that, you know, inflation reduction, and but yet you're giving $80 billion to the Internal Revenue Service. That doesn't help people at all. I'm sure it can take $80 billion and do a lot of good with it for people. You understand? You know, $80 billion should, should gain somebody, 
you know, people who are struggling, shoot, give, give them another stimulus. That kind of helps people. People would love to get another stimulus, right? What if you say, hey, you know, people that got children, something like that, then let's, let's go ahead on and spread that out to those people. Let's help, let's help with daycare costs instead of giving $80 billion to the freaking Internal Revenue Service. Now, even though upsetting as that video is, and it is, it is upsetting that people are getting paid $20,000 a week, some people is not even making that in a year sometimes. And yet these people get paid $10,000, $135 an hour. You know what? You should be telling Brandon Johnson in Chicago, hey, brother, when do I sign up for them jobs? I go work that job for hundred thirty five dollars now. Hell yeah, sign me up. I go over there because that's where all the money is, right? A lot of money's over there, so y'all should be at the next city uh, hall meeting and Brandon Johnson there, and every person that who who knows this information now that got put out, you should be going in at that meeting. You should be telling Brandon Johnson, "Hey, Mayor Johnson." Where do I sign up for that job that's paying $135 an hour? Because, hey, I got to take care of my family, too. So I go do it. Where do I sign up at? Because I need that. Because all my tax dollars are going over there. So at least let me go over there and make $135 an hour. Y'all should be y'all should be doing that. Just as much how these, these, uh, these folks going to school board meetings acting a freaking fool about some stupidity. Y'all should be at that city council meeting and going in about all your tax dollars with this situation. It's going to take the people taking a stand against these bureaucrats who just bleeding dry the taxpayer and say, no, you're not going to do this. They should not be eating. Because see, it's one thing just to complain about it, but y'all have to actually go to the city council meetings, go, you know, when they're campaigning. You have to say, hey, this is not going to be the deal. You have to do that. Now, what's even more disgusting than this information that just came down the wire here, and shout out to NBC Chicago for, for putting that out. Remember, Mayor Adams has said that the city, as people know it, won't be the same, that New York will be destroyed. He admitted that. The Democrats were very angry with him for saying that. Angry. Instead of helping him fix it, they were angry because Mayor Adams should be taking the brunt of all their policies and shutting up and not saying a word. Now, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and all the other Democrats went to do a press conference in New York to speak about what's going on over there. And the people of New York, they showed up. Let's go ahead and roll that. Because they want to work. Well, a lot of New Yorkers want to work too. 
There's a lot of them that want a job, especially in our community. We want jobs, but you worry about them going to work. And the no, look, looking at the tone, they don't care about the people. They can care less how angry the people is. I hear people of all nationalities screaming, actually, out there, which is good. So many stories, heartbreaking stories, manifest itself here. But I think these are folks that will take New York City to a better place. Every crisis presents great opportunity. There's hope and opportunity in this building. So I wanted to thank all my colleagues for coming. As you can see, this is a contentious issue, but we are all Americans. Are we all believe in the American dream? Yes, the Americans for the American dream. Well, once again, Americans for the American dream. Those people are not Americans there. They're not Americans at all. and they're going to lowball wages. And what's going to happen is when they lowball those wages, guess what happens to New Yorkers? They're going to start losing their jobs. That's exactly what's going to happen to New Yorkers. So the moment they get work authorization, be prepared for labor. They're prevented from getting jobs. Temporary protected status, so they can stay here in this country. Extension, we already have TPS. Work permits for people that just want to work for their families. Additional funding, yes, for New York City needs more funding so we can get this done. God bless you, America. We love Seems like some people are not very happy with the Democrats right now. I bet you they didn't expect that because you saw kind of like their faces like, oh, shoot, man, they actually pissed off with us. Yeah, because New York City is being ruined. And it's Democrat policies that's just basically doing it. See, those Democrat policies are very, you know, fun to say and all their little catchphrases and sloganizing, saying, oh, we're a sanctuary city and Oh, we welcome everybody, and, and okay, fine. And then when everybody comes your way, now you're angry. See, the border states in Texas, and that's where I'm broadcasting from, been dealing with that forever. Our border towns in Texas have been taking these people forever. These border towns aren't your Houston's or Dallas, 
San Antonio, Austin. No, that, it's not that kind of money coming into those cities, right? Those cities on the border are, you know, a lot of poor communities. And those poor communities have been taking in all these people. And those communities have been complaining for a very, very long time. And now because they have been going to New York, they've been going to Chicago, they've been going to LA, or they've been going to all these cities they claim they are a sanctuary city, and now look what happened. So since that being said, and, and now you're seeing what the issues are with the policies of the Democrat Party, what are you going to do about it in 2024? What are you going to do? Because if you go out in 2024 and you go vote for those same people that you saw talking to you that has no empathy for you, none. They have no sympathy for you as, as a New Yorker, as a Chicagoan, no sympathy for any of you. They stick to script. That's what you saw. Stick to script. Forget what the people say. They're supposed to be your constituents in New York. They're supposed to hear what you say, write down and take and give an account for what they do, because they're supposed to be your representative. But these politicians in America, where they, they think, they think, okay, I'm in office. Yeah, 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 I'm your representative, but I do whatever I want to do. I follow the party say, not what the people say. You understand? And this 2024 election has to be a referendum on the Democrat Party, because if it's not a referendum on the Democrat Party and the policies of Joe Biden, you're going to get more of that. And what Mayor Eric Adams said about the city will be destroyed is coming to you. I don't see how anybody would, would not be upset at how they responded to them. They talk about American dream for everybody else. But what about the New Yorkers' American dream? Or people in Chicago's American dream? What about theirs? People in Chicago making $135 an hour, but, but the citizens of Chicago can't get those jobs? I'm talking the average citizen. You got people in the streets of Chicago right now sleeping on the freaking street. But you got people who didn't even vote for the Democrats. They sleep in the shelters. And, and remember we covered... They want to put up a tent city in Chicago while the 76% of the homeless people in Chicago are black Americans. So they're going to be in the streets, in the snow, trying to find somewhere for shelter. But those, those other people, they have somewhere to stay. That is betrayal of your constituents. That is betrayal of the American people, American you know, society, it's, that's utter betrayal. No other country will put up with that. None. Why do you think they don't go to all those other countries they pass up? Why do you think they don't do that? Because they know they can't go to Brazil and do that. They know they can't go to Ecuador and just show up and get all that. They know they can't go to Costa Rica, Panama, and do that. They know that. They sure can't go to Mexico with it. But they said, let's go to the United States because those people over there, we know there's a Democrat Party that's running right now, and their policies is to say, screw the American people. It's about our agenda. And when you heard what Ocasio-Cortez said, right, we need to get these people work permits. I promise y'all in New York, the moment they can get those work permits to those people, a lot of you are not going to have a job. You think it's tough right now with a job? It'll be a lot tougher without one. The way that these, these people are going with this Democrat Party, 
they, it's kind of reminded me how the Vietnamese, when they first came to Port Arthur, originally I'm from Port Arthur, Texas. When the Vietnamese first came in, I kind of remember that in the 80s, they would stay nine, 10 people to a house. That's what they would do because they couldn't really afford anything. But I, cause I remember a Vietnamese family actually lived right across in the black community, living right across the street from me in the black community, right? It was, you know, I remember those kids. I've been playing, used to play with some of those kids, right? And, you know, I would talk to them and, and find out, you know, about their moms, their dads, all these different family members they would have. They started getting shrimp boats over there. They would start getting convenience stores or different little things they would do, nail shops, whatever they would do. And then one by one, a family would move out until the person that actually got the home, they'll stay there. And then that person eventually left the black community, right? I guess they went on over to Needleland or Port Natures or whatever, you know, uh, where a lot of white people was at in that time period. What's gonna happen with this economy, black people, and in the route they're trying to go in the cities, people gonna have to start staying like the Vietnamese did, five, 10 to a house. Because that's the, that's the what the route Democrats want. I'm telling you, those people get those work permits like they're talking about, and you're gonna see a lot of layoffs because why would they pay you fifteen dollars an hour when they can pay one of them six dollars an hour, or just minimum wage? What's minimum wage? Seven something an hour? Yeah, okay. They can get away with not paying their minimum wage because they can just pay them under the table as a ten ninety nine. Right? Those people are not going to complain about not getting paid minimum wage. They want to keep their mouth shut. Because what a lot of these corporations do is threaten them. Like, well, you go complain, I'm gonna call ICE. That's and that's what they do to keep their mouth shut. So to see a citizen, they can't do that. That's why I gotta pay you right. So those people get those work permits, expect layoffs in New York, expect layoffs in, in, in Chicago, expect layoffs in LA, wherever they're going to, expect layoffs. They will all listen. Y'all talking about capitalism, predatory capitalism is very predatory, right? That's a form of capitalism I think could be good, but unfortunately a lot of people are predators with it, right? And predatory capitalism says this, my greatest cost is labor. So if I can go hire 20,000 people from Venezuela, El Salvador, wherever they come from, and I can pay them all $7 an hour versus paying these Americans $18 an hour, I'm going to fire all the Americans and I'm going to pay these people $7 an hour. I have gained money all the way around. I don't have to pay certain taxes because I'm going to pay them like a, maybe even a 1099 or something like that, not even a W-2 employee while I'm paying state tax, federal tax, all of that, right? So I'm saving money all over the place as a business owner, and that's how they think, folks. This is how they think. These major corporations who can afford to pay you $20 an hour, they still want those people to do those jobs. You look at even Silicon Valley, they import a lot of East Indians here, and a lot of people from uh, China or whatever, they still pay them less than what they were paying American. They bring them in under uh, you know those uh, work visa basically to do jobs in Silicon Valley. It's all so the corporations can get a bag more than what they're getting now because what they're getting now is not enough. They got to squeeze every booger out of George Washington's nose. You understand? But 
the greatest threat to that plan is the people. When the people take a stand and say, no, I'm not going to allow you to cause my family to have to be living with eight to 10 family members just so you can get a bag. No. If he, I know you got these politicians on the payroll. This is what the people have to say. I know this. I know you banks control the politicians. I understand that. You corporations, your Walmarts, your, your Targets, whoever. I know you donate to these campaigns. I know. And they do you, and they do your will, whatever that may be. But what y'all gonna have to do, people, this is when I talk about getting registered to vote. You can't really not do nothing about it if you don't register to vote. You need to register to vote and say, okay, Cortez, oh, you siding with him? Oh, uh, Jamal Bowman, I see you back there. You siding with him? And all, all of the Democrats that I see, you see up there with them? You cool with this? Okay, all right. Start writing names down. Like I said, if somebody told me they was going, they said they heard my idea, they want to do it, fine, go ahead and do it. I said, y'all need to build a database of, of politicians that are anti of the people and definitely anti-black in a, in a politics, right? Make sure you put down on that website the name, the picture, party affiliation, and when it's time to go and vote, when they term ends. And just like, you know, I remember Julius Malema in South Africa said, you know, if you're in the EFF and you're not registered to vote, you will get kicked out. Like, what good are you if we can't get out there and vote for anything, right? So this is the time when you talk about voting, voting people out. And also at the same time, voting people out, but having someone from the grassroots that's known in the community, right? Someone you know is gonna do the right thing, that everybody can vote in a block for this person, all these, you know, these people. These career politicians, I'm telling you, they don't care about the people, they care about party, not people. If you don't go do something and shake things up, in 2024 and put Biden and the Democrats back in there, you're going to lose your city. You will be staying eight to 10 people to a house. You will be eating beans and rice every day. You will be eating maybe the most meat you can get is some slimy ground meat. And everybody knows that people throughout the world don't even want American ground meat because it has, because it is made with pink slime. Look it up. There's a lot of things that they sell you in this grocery store that other people in other countries would not want. They don't want American pork. They don't want American beef. They don't want chicken. They don't want no meat coming from America. It's a whole lot. It's a list of things other countries refuse to take from America. Even certain cereals that they sell here, you can't buy overseas. Or what I've seen from travel is that they would take, let's say, a Sprite. A Sprite over here, so much sugar. Keep drinking that. You'll get diabetes. But then when I bought it, I got a Sprite in Turkey. It had just enough sugar where it was good, but not over, you know what I'm saying? And I tell people, I, that's the only time I drink uh, maybe a salt drink. I said, I wish I'd never drink that mess unless I'm overseas because they don't like all that sugar. They don't like putting too much salt in things, too. Now, the African continent, man, they, they cook very good, you know what I'm saying? But it's not over salty or nothing like that. But y'all have to take a stand. Are we really going to go through some hard times? Because Biden and, and, and Kamala is just not up to the task. Their allegiance isn't to the people. It's to the corporations and, and the other interests and whoever's controlling Biden, because, you know, out of his own mouth, he said he's just following orders. 
he's going to get in trouble. I mean, he said it many times, right? Like he's working for somebody else. So that's not a good thing. So with that being said, ladies and gentlemen, you have a choice to make in 2024. And I'm going to sit here and see what choice you make. You want to choose economic struggle? You want to choose to start having to live seven, eight, nine, ten to a home so you don't be on the street? I know all of you want to have your own place, right? I know you don't want to live with a bunch of family members, but you may have to do live with family and put and pay bills together. You may have to, because it's better to do that than be on the street sleeping, especially in places like New York. It gets snows and everything. And even it don't even matter if you're not in New York and it don't snow. If you're in a place like Houston, it really don't snow every blue moon in May. We we keep if you look at those policies, right? Anywhere black people are at, because you know, not a Texas Republican state. But Houston is a Democrat city, but we don't have that issue like these other uh, cities. So I can't really mention much about Houston. But what black people are going to do? L.A., black, the majority of homeless population in, in just California, period, or even through America, it's black American people. We can't just keep voting 80 to 90 percent Democrat when the Democrats are literally taking all our tax dollars away and giving it to other people. That's not right. That's not what you voted for. You didn't. Okay, you got Trump out. Fine, you got him out. But look what you got in, in, in replacement. This country can't sustain what it's doing, folks. It can't. The breaking point gonna come. So, and you know what this is new? When the breaking point comes, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Jamal Bowman, and all other different life I'm going to do to try to sabotage myself. Listen, my personal life, there's no way I see something's trying to harm me, and I'm going to and choose to continue having that in my life to keep harming me. The first thing I'm going to do is get rid of the problem that's harming me, and then make things right. And that's what you have to do. So you, you vote. You want to choose either struggle, you're going to choose living in a house, eating all the beans and rice and soup, ramen noodles, because you can't afford nothing else because the groceries are too high. Or you can shake things up and say, hey, the first thing we need to do is get, you know, we already know who, who to go for to get the people go out of my city. We already know that. I got to really tell you much more than that. At this point, it's not about liking people. It's not. It's about results. And, and you know good will last time, you get them out. They'll, they'll move it out. I guarantee you, if New York and saw, saw that going on, they'll, they'll be happy. But let me know, ladies and gentlemen. You know, like I said, let me know. I could be completely wrong. Maybe I got the whole thing wrong. Maybe I do. Maybe this is okay to you. Maybe it's okay for the rents to be where it's at. Maybe the evictions, which is through the roof. Maybe you're okay with the Democrat policies that they created some of this mess. Just, just maybe. Maybe I'm wrong. I'm reading too much into it. You may feel this is a necessary sacrifice um, for the greater good so everybody else can have an American dream while you suffer. Maybe, maybe, maybe like I said, I could be wrong. You let me know. Like I said, I, I, I've been wrong about things in my life. I'm not perfect. I'm not, but you let me know. But if I'm not wrong, if I'm not wrong, if I'm not, 
then you better get yourself ready to vote. And you better get out there. <laughs> like the people say, get your, get your booty to the polls, right? Get your booty to the polls and get the Democrats out. If not, they going to have a job. They going to have a place to stay. And you either going to be on the streets or you're going to be living uh, 10, 12 to a house, eating beans and rice and ramen noodles. It's your choice. Going on, black family. Sadat here. Waking up, fell asleep during the game. But we won, so that's a good thing. And I see uh, Jason Black is on uh, Twitter spaces now. The demands will begin like this. Black people are demanding. Reparations across the board. Now, what do we mean by reparations across the board? Black people have not just been enslaved. Black people are not just Jim Crow segregation oppressed. Black people have been victimized at literally every level, every strata, every aspect of this society. And to give it the blanket term of systemic racism, begins to get at the issue, but if you are going to discuss what needs to be done to rectify the issue, then you've got to discuss that reparations starts with economics, but does not end there. It is not merely an economic issue. So as black people, we are going to start by saying the issue is reparations across the board. You will not hear this from your hand-picked puppets of the white media. You will not hear it from their LGBT Negro flunkies. You will only hear it here. YouTube is restricting the views on this channel. They are restricting our visibility right now. So I need all of you, all of you, all of you to share this and to let people know that we talk about the real thing over here. We're not going to let them stop us. They're not sharing this video with people on YouTube. Okay, I need everybody listening right now to share this because this is the issue. We're putting the world on notice of exactly what are our demands. So if you want to give it a blanket term, the demand is reparations across the board. Now, what exactly does that entail? What exactly does that mean? That's what we are going to get into now. Before we go any further, number one, first and foremost, it will be understood that the agenda must address black people and only black people. We are not here to discuss every ill of society. We are not going to sit up here and let you divert and detour the conversation into non-black issues. We're not going to let you do with the New York Times, this dirty, filthy piece of crap, white supremacist, historical news, so-called newspaper outlet has done. That when black people start beating on white supremacy, they jump in and say, I know that now, let's talk about other issues. No, and well, we sent some Negro flunkies to sit up here and uh, 
tell you, hey, you got to listen to them. No, we don't. We are identifying collaborators. If you hear somebody tell you, well, the issue is all black lives, we already said black lives. And to say all black lives is redundant. Well, we need to discuss what happened to LGBT. No, you want us to stop talking about white supremacy. And you are a collaborator. Which is why the white media wants to magnify that and amplify it. And we will not let them change the subject. First and foremost, the agenda must address black people and only black people, period, full stop. Not minority, not black and brown, not any other additions, no additives, all preservatives. When black people are specifically targeted and harmed by the government, they always lead off when we say it's time for solutions by saying we need to do something for black people. The discussion always starts about black people to get us calmed down whenever we rise up. But invariably, politicians in the media, when it's time to discuss the allocation of resources to rectify and remedy the problem, which is the struggle and discrimination against black people, they start off by using our name and then divert the resources intended to help us into helping everyone except us. So the problem begins because 100% of the issue is what's wrong with black people, but when it's time for the solution, all of a sudden the remedy is 3% directed towards black people. That is a bait and switch game that has been going on for the longest, and we are calling it out that before we discuss anything, the issue is black people for black people, only black people. We are going to deal with this problem alone. And anything else comes later down the line. We all know the issue is fixed when we tell you it's fixed. It has been an unforgivable insult to see programs like affirmative action, which was originally supposedly set aside meant to correct white supremacist racial injustice against black people, and then to see white people receive affirmative action resources <laughs> intended for the very black people that their white privilege has been victimizing. No more bait and switch language. The agenda begins, but we are setting the table by saying we are here to discuss black people, what black people need, and what black people are due to get the remedy for black people, not transgender, not humpbacks, not women, not people of color, not minorities. If you are a black person, we are talking about what is necessary for you in a system to overturn the system of white supremacy that victimizes us all with impunity. So first and foremost, that is where it begins. If that if discussion is not framed in that light from the very start, then in the words of Dr. John Henry Clark, it is illegitimate. And it is out of order and it needs to be immediately aborted. We are not going to sit down and discuss black people indirectly. We are going to discuss black people only, and any attempt to veer and steer in another direction will be called out for what it is, and we're getting up and walking away and taking back to the streets. Two, 
Black society's top priority is economic empowerment. If you want to know what the solution is, if you want to know what we're stomping for, if you want to know what the ultimate end goal is and the metric by which we measure whether or not we are progressing and succeeding, we're measuring it in dollars. If we got more, if we as a group universally got more dollars, then we moving in the right direction. When you can pick a bootlicking lackey like Oprah Winfrey and y'all dump a bunch of money in her for betraying her people, no, we're not going for the will. If one black person doing well, no, either we all coming up or we're all going down. But you're not gonna handpick Negroes and tell us, well, dumped off a bunch of money to pay off this nigga over here to betray the rest of you. <laughs> and then, well, ain't you doing good? Oprah doing well. No, just because your Negro funkies are doing all right, that's not the metric. Black people across the board, as a group, we need to have more economic control. We need to have absolute economic control. The black economy and black infrastructure, economic infrastructure needs to be controlled by us. And if we are not making more money, if we are not holders of capital, if we are not able to finance these things at an unlimited global and universal level, then the system is failing, period. We do not wish to be your employees. We will not be your servants. We want to be, we are going to be leaders and masters in our own right. No one is going to tell us where the beginning or the end is. We will define all of those things ourselves, but we understand the key point. You <laughs> hate us because we're black, but you're able to victimize us because we're poor. And as long as we remain poor, we remain easy victims. But the more affluent we are with our black identity, point number one, the agenda is black people. Point number two is how you enforce point number one. So making sure that we have economic empowerment is how we enforce number one. And at that point, we're ready for anything you want to throw at us and we can finance whatever level of response we need to. The black Wall Street was victimized because they had an economy, but they were missing stockpiling weapons. But when you got an economy, you focus on that so you can protect your economy. But without the financing, you will not ultimately be able to hold it. So before we say anything else, the agenda is black people. Well, what do black people want? Our top priority is economic empowerment. That is what the discussion is about. And if it's about anything else, it's illegitimate and out of order. We're not here to discuss subterfuge or deflections. The wealth of America and the Western world was built first and foremost on exploiting black labor through slavery and later using institutionalized racism, which still exists, to trap black people into being a perpetual labor, consumer, and prison class of citizens. The only solution is for black people to have full control of our own economic infrastructure and destiny. 
Right now, state and local governments are willing to throw billions of dollars to support mega corporations owned by white men like Jeff Bezos. Not going to do anything but make a few wealthy individuals even wealthier. And if the state of New York were to utilize that same tract of land in Long Island City that they were going to give away to Amazon with the same economic incentives that they were going to squander on Amazon and instead make that a concentrated development zone for confirmed black businesses, no token black businesses, no I look white and I'm really black and you think about it, businesses, true black businesses, that would do far, we could do far more with that opportunity with far less than basic. <coughs> And that's the real reason so many people oppose it. That's the same reason it must happen. How do you make that occur? There needs to be a Marshall Plan for Black America. And by that, I mean across the board, America must accept a Marshall Plan ideology where Black people are concerned. After World War II, Japan was bombed to hell. America didn't enslave them. They didn't institute Jim Crow. They didn't institute institutional segregation and racism. They rebuilt Japanese society as one of their as one of their puppet states. I shouldn't say puppet state necessarily, but certainly one of their um, disciple states. And then we're going to get you up to 20th century speed so that you can become a satellite in Asia for our power and control. But they rebuilt that society to 20th century specifications. The federal and state governments in the United States, all, every state, every individual state and the United States government, federal government as a whole, all engage in active warfare <coughs> against the black population of this country with one goal in mind, to keep black people impoverished for white society's benefit. And just as laws like the Homestead Act were written to give white people free land that they could develop and grow rich from generationally, while excluding the very black people who built the country from having access to those types of programs, and just like state governments in places like Tulsa, Oklahoma, Wilmington, North Carolina, bombed and massacred black people for the crime of developing their own thriving economic centers, despite the atrocities of Jim Crow, we now need those same governments to put those resources that they stole from us and put them back into the black population that they stole it from. Just like Japan was given a Marshall Plan with clear goals and clear procedures to rebuild Japan as a modern and capable industrial player after the war with America, we need institutionalized racism to turn its focus towards institutionalized black business development. Institutionalized racism needs to give way to institutionalized black business development to rebuild black society following the war with white supremacy. Because white and non-black people control the economy of every single black neighborhood in America. But there isn't a single white neighborhood in the world where black people control white people's economy. They hate us because we're black, but they can victimize us because we are poor. And you can basically tie every single one of our problems in black society back to the fact that we are economically oppressed, devastated, and enslaved. 
So now that we've determined that the agenda is black people, okay, what is on the agenda for black people? Economic empowerment. That is going to be the foundation upon which you build all other progress. Period. Point blank. End of discussion. Number three, the total dismantling of systemic white supremacy. Across American society, white supremacy is not just a single thing. It is not a single artifact. It is not a single structure. You are up against a system that permeates every factor, every facet, every aspect of your life from the moment that you wake up to the moment that you go to sleep. You are a prisoner in this society. And we have a bunch of names for it, racism, white supremacy, white privilege. But at the end of the day, the problem with white supremacy is its systemic nature. It would be different if white supremacy only occupied one aspect of American life, one aspect of society. If it did, that would be different. But white supremacy permeates everything. There is literally nowhere you can go and nothing you can do to escape it. It is in all aspects of American life, including inside black society, because you've got a bunch of black people who have adopted a white supremacist mindset. You are literally up against that. Now, what do I mean by total dismantling? Once again, after World War II, take a look at the tremendous difference in the way that black people have been treated as opposed to other people. Take a look at how the Japanese were treated after they went to war against America and then see how we were treated. What about the Jews? After World War II, they were given the Nuremberg Trials, where they hunted down anybody who was a Nazi, anybody who harbored white supremacist sentiment. They dismantled white supremacy in Germany, soup to nuts to bolts from the bottom to the top. It was completely outlawed and criminalized. That is what needs to happen in Western society and specifically in America now. The complete criminalization and outlawing of white supremacy, period. You cannot have it. It cannot be there. You're not going to have a prosecutor start explaining away why it's allowed to be there. White supremacy must be recognized as the ultimate evil that it is. And in every aspect of life, from economic to educational to media to the so-called justice system, which is really just our court system, to daycare, to sports, to recreation, white supremacy as a system needs to be criminalized, outlawed, and dismantled the same way that you did in Nazi Germany for Jewish people. You did it there. And someone may attempt to argue, well, they didn't eradicate white supremacy in Germany. You know what? I'll take what the Jews got in Germany, and I'll make it work. Compared to what we have here, I'll take what they got in Germany and I'll make it work like hell over here. You better believe that. Number four, white supremacists and police violence should be determined and classified as a human rights violation. 
this idea that we are going to treat white supremacist violence and white supremacists masquerading as police officers, white supremacist lieutenants, captains, and police chiefs co-signing the system, which is why point number three was outlawing it and criminalizing it. It needs to be a human rights violation. We are not discussing it in terms of assault. What they did was the system decided that there were not enough black people selling drugs. So in case you all haven't known, what they've done now is if you're a pimp and you're running whores, they call that now human trafficking. Now, it used to be that human trafficking had a very specific meaning. It meant that you kidnapped females. It basically was like uh, you kidnap females or kidnap people. It was like, like slavery. You had to take them against their will. Today, they have redefined human trafficking and saying that if you're a pimp, but specifically only if you're black male pimps, well, you're not guilty of pimping anymore. Why, that's human trafficking. And oh, we've got a whole list of international laws. So they have criminalized that basically on the level of Nazi Germany. Very glad that you started this process. It is now time for white supremacist and police violence to be classified as a human rights violation. When third world countries have armed police out there shooting unarmed citizens and those governments defend and condone the acts of their police forces, the United States quick to call those human rights violations. But when police in America murder unarmed black people, when white citizens murder unarmed black people, the United States calls that proper police procedure and self-defense. But when a black person tries it, all of a sudden you find out you're in jail. That language didn't of calling it proper police procedure and self-defense, that language didn't work for the Nazis and it shouldn't work in New York, California, or anywhere else. The only reason, the only reason that George Floyd, Eric Garner, Orlando Castillo, Tamir Rice, and most black victims of police violence stand still while they are executed by police is because the cop has a gun drawn on them. That is a human rights violation. When someone who's supposed to be representing the government abuses that authority and commits murder or assault, that is a human rights violation because you are taking advantage of people who are submitting to the law and then you're condoning somebody violating their human rights because the law is supposed to first and foremost defend our human rights, not defend someone's profession. And in every other instance of society, when a person commits an offense or a crime, simply having a gun in your possession enhances the charges. Now, you know, if somebody is a driver of an 18 wheeler and they run over three people deliberately, their charge with vehicular manslaughter or vehicular homicide, even though the truck is a part of their job duties. They started off okay and then changed at the last minute and committed a crime. You're going to be held accountable because you're driving a vehicle. That's the way it works in every other aspect of society except for police. Police have been given an exemption in this area, not because it makes legal 
logical sense, but because politicians understand that if black people can't be economically controlled, then they must be violently terrorized and protecting police while they use guns to execute that violence is a necessity. The police are the chosen state goons and thugs who carry out state-sanctioned violence against black people. So if it is a human rights violation, what should be done? The police are the military enforcement arm of white supremacy. And the George W. Bush administration over a decade ago reported that law enforcement in America has been totally and completely co-opted and infested from top to bottom by white supremacist elements. And yet there's been nothing done to root them out and remove these white supremacist operatives. Once again, we need to have a Nuremberg-type event, and that hasn't happened. You have white supremacists beat cops, sergeants, lieutenants, captains, even police chiefs, and prosecutors who are using police and sheriff's departments as havens and nests where white supremacists can be hired in a profession that allows to kill black people with impunity, and the district attorney also a white supremacist or white supremacist <laughs> puppet will back you up on it. And we need to stop pretending that this daily parade of never-ending slaughters and shootings of unarmed black people is some type of weird fluke of mathematics and call it for what it is. The wholesale takeover of American so-called law enforcement by violent white supremacists masquerading as police officers. Talk of police reform is a con job. You cannot reform a white supremacist. You cannot retrain a white supremacist. If you find him, you must terminate his job, and if he harms a citizen, you must terminate his freedom, and if he's a threat, you must terminate his life. But you cannot reform a white supremacist. The law needs to change we need to recognize white supremacy as terrorism. We do not attempt to reform terrorists. We attempt to make sure that they are no longer harmful to the society. White supremacy, a human rights violation, it is domestic terrorism, and it must be and should be and will be regarded and punished. There is nothing you can do with white supremacy except to separate it from everyone else and punish it. That is how you are going to subdue it. This isn't about getting them to like us. This is not ridding the world of white supremacy. It is about making sure that it is beaten down to the point that it is no longer a threat to the greater population. Next, schools can no longer be weaponized against black children. It's a sad reality that black children are often the targets of racist school teachers and administrators. And their chief form of abuse is to claim that the black child has a learning disability or is a disciplinary problem, and that the only way you can deal with it is to either put the child on drugs or put the child into special education. Attempting to place black children in mass into special ed has become the common practice in public schools, particularly when they are in elementary school. They try to grab your child very, very young 
convince you that there's a problem with the child and that the only thing they can do is to shovel them off into special ed or we need to get you to put on drugs and we'll even enhance your county check. Uh, we'll give you a drug stipend to get prescriptions for your kids if you go ahead and see to it that you put them on these drugs. And that has become common practice in the public schools so that black children have their educations outright stopped before they even had a chance to get one. And this exponentially increases their chances of ending up failing in school and thus becoming a dropout and eventually ending up in prison. For those of you who are unaware, in America, the way, the way in which they choose where they build prisons is very simple. They take a look at where dropout rates are highest. And wherever school dropout rates are highest, that's where they place a prison at. So there's a direct connection between schools and prisons. Even if that's not an accurate mesh metric, even if dropout rates are not completely an accurate metric, that's the one that they're using. So in case you didn't know it, and you can look this up for yourself, I'm not saying it, look it up for yourself. Whenever there's a bunch of dropouts, that's where they go. They don't really fix the dropout situation because the dropout situation is engineered. And now that you have prisons for profit, they need to make sure that they keep stocking the prisons with a fresh stock of inmates. And black people and black children have been chosen as the designated livestock. This is not accidental. This is a conscious effort on the part of racist school faculty members, school board members, and administrators to make sure white privilege is maintained by seeing to it that black children's educations are derailed early in life so that white kids don't have to compete against black children in the global marketplace after graduation. If they can cripple your child in kindergarten, then in a decade, they don't have to worry about your child competing against theirs in the global marketplace. And these monsters are so heinous that they're targeting children. They do not have a conscience. They do not have a soul. And this is why white supremacy must be criminalized and outlawed. If you have all the hallmarks of white supremacy, we don't need you to say you're a white supremacist. If you satisfy all the hallmarks, if you have all of the practices of a white supremacist claims Germany has a freeway, all of those were inventions and innovations of the Nazis. All of those out there existence here in America we took Nazi scientists and engineers and brought them to America to do those things for us after they lost the war. But Germany didn't have to make statues to Werner von Braun or Ehrlichman or Joseph Hess. They didn't have to make statues to the Nazis who created those innovations. They kept the innovations and put the pictures of the Nazis in a museum where they belong so that society is not encumbered. So society can progress without these monsters standing in the way. Understand, the only reason that there's a statue of Robert E. Lee anywhere is because that is an act of domestic terrorism. That is an act of claiming this as domestic property and cultural, uh, cultural claim, culturally claiming this land for white supremacy. 
That is the manner in which white supremacists mark their territory by putting up huge monuments to the monsters that they venerate and pray to. Black children should not have to sit up here and pass by a statue of the American Nazis. This is how you enculturate and condition children to start excusing away white supremacy. Next thing you know, your kids start talking like white supremacists. They start making excuses, not for the existence of the statue, but for the acceptance of the legitimacy of the person that the statue was made of. Next thing you know, they start saying Robert E. Lee wasn't a slave owner. That's not true. Robert E. Lee wasn't direct, didn't directly buy them, but he was a slave owner. Stonewall Jackson, next thing you know, your kids start equivocating and start sounding like Fox News. They start rationalizing these things away. They start saying, well, these were just men of their time. They start talking as if these weren't things that happened to black people, that these were things that happened to somebody else. And you've got black cities in America where the state governments, these unreformed Confederates and blatant white supremacists, have told you that, oh, we're going to keep up these symbols of white supremacy, even though these are black cities and black areas. That even though you've taken it back, we've marked our territory and we made it illegal for you to take down the signs and take down the monuments to these monsters of history. I endorse removing them by all means necessary. They have no place in a civilized society and certainly have no place in a black one. Period, point blank. We need to discuss the reconstitution of the American economic order across the board. Lately, they've been talking about 20% and that alone would be a good thing if you make it mandatory. I think 20% is a good start. For those of you who are unaware, it simply basically says that these entities have to do at least 20% of their business with black businesses. Now, companies in America today receive public assistance in the form of tax breaks and even tax credits, as well as free infrastructure upgrades to make it easier for them to do business. So your tax dollars as black people in Atlanta, Los Angeles, St. Louis, whenever they build a Walmart, whenever they build a Whole Foods or whatever, they redo the whole damn intersection. Now, they'll never do that for your business, but for Walmart, they rebuild whole in in intersections. They put up new traffic lights. They do all, they put in new sewage lines. They do all types of millions of dollars of your black tax dollars are put to work for white corporations, but when you show up, they tell you, oh no, that's welfare. We can't just give you nothing. Meanwhile, they're giving white businesses things all over the place right after they just told you that they can't do it for you. So we need to be done asking, and it is time to demand that we muscle in. You need to require corporations that if they want to do business in your city 
as part of the requirement to get their business license, at least 20% of their contracts must go to black businesses that are either purely black sole proprietorships or are corporations that are 75% black owned as a condition of being able to do business in your city and in your state. So you're not going to play that game of, well, I mean, we ain't going to have no $5 Negroes. You're not going to have any Rachel Dolezals jump up and say, hey, where's my 20%? And you're not going to have any white front group say, well, hey, we'll just go find us a token Negro who doesn't actually own anything, and we'll use him as our front person to get these contracts. And this should be a condition of getting a business license to do business in that city or that state. You all are not aware, in California now, Governor Newsom, they made it the law that uh, most of these big corporations, now it's the law you have to have at least one or two females on your corporate board in order to remain incorporated in the state of California. That is the law today in California. That's the law now. That you're, if you're a corp major corporation, you must have at least one or two women on your board. And I think it's actually percentage-wise, depending on how many men you got. Is it for every five men, there must be one woman or something like that. But you have to have a certain number of women on your corporate boards in California. Now, you do understand that those are going to be white women, right? It's not like they're going to be any black women. Those are going to be white women on those boards. So just like they told you that Mexicans don't need insurance to drive in Los Angeles, they won't get their cars impounded, but niggas is getting jacked up on tow trucks every damn weekend if they don't have insurance. Now they're saying that white women need to have a right to be on corporate boards. So you all do understand what that means, right? By making this engraved into law, even if black people were to take over the economic infrastructure of California, as if we could, they've already made it the law that, by the way, you're gonna have to put two white women on the board of directors of your company. It didn't make a racial requirement and say only majority white companies have to do this. This is everybody. So they're writing it into the law that they will have access to black companies before we even have a chance to build any. So you know what? Since you've demonstrated that that's the way we rolling, then in order to get your business license in California, New York, Texas, Florida, Louisiana, or anywhere else, you need to have 20% of your contracts going to black businesses. And there's an essential reason why this is important. When businesses have a stable contract, when smaller or mid-sized businesses have a stable contract with a major company, this enables those smaller businesses to start making long-term plans. They can start projecting revenues into the near future more reliably. They can get access to lines of credit based on their relationships with those larger businesses. If y'all remember, Bill Gates wasn't some business marvel. 
He took the idea of Windows from Xerox and another fellow who wrote the coding for it, and then he went to IBM. And yes, you can talk about his mother all you want to, but he was able to get a contract with IBM. Next thing you know, he didn't go get a job with IBM. Did you hear that? Bill Gates did not pursue a job with IBM. He pursued a contract with IBM. And from there, Bill Gates became several times bigger than IBM. That's how you build white wealth. That's how dimensions of connection being as few as possible builds white wealth. And they told black people, oh, that's just reserved for us. If black folk are going to be talking about voting, that's what we need to vote for. That you must give your contracts to black people. And from there, we're going to make all kinds of things pop off. From there, do you all understand that if the average black person who's actually running their business correctly knew that they could get that type of access, they would be, there wouldn't be, there would be an economic revolution not within decades, but within a couple of years, simply from being able to leverage those relationships <coughs> with those major corporations, simply from being able to leverage that. These white businesses and white companies have done business along ethnic lines, giving preferential treatment to white businesses while locking out black ones, even when the majority of their customer base is black. These major retailers, among other businesses, need to be required to do business with black vendors. And if there are no black vendors that meet their quote requirements, then they have to set up a program where they can, where they will mentor and shepherd black vendors through the process of upgrading their facilities or capabilities in order to do business with you. So you will give 20% of your contracts to black businesses. And if there are no black businesses, you will find one. And if you cannot find one, then you will mentor and shepherd one into being a vendor for your company. That is what it will be. Elon Musk is the very definition of white privilege. This is a dude who cashed out of PayPal and from there, all he needs to do is say, hey, I got an idea. And next thing you know, white folk and money from around the world show up simply to sponsor his idea. It doesn't matter how harebrained. It doesn't matter how wild. It doesn't matter how crazy. And then people say that he's always succeeding. No, he's given so much money to put into his ideas that you have eliminated the possibility of failure. You put so much investment into him that he can't fail. And that's how you've been playing this game. So it's far past time that black folk get a piece of that action. When the automotive corporations, I did this program a few months ago, when American and Western automotive corporations came into China, they thought they were going to come into China running the game they've always done in places like Mexico and South America. And China said, wait a minute, hit your brakes, white dude. You're not going to come over here and take it over. You are going to have to enter into contracts 
with Chinese automotive companies. It's mandatory and you will share it 50-50 with our own homegrown Chinese companies. But you, it's going to be 50-50. You're not going to come over here and rape the economy and leave us with nothing. You're not going to do that. And that is what they've been doing all this time where black folk are concerned. Where black people are concerned, they keep telling us, well, you know, we can get you a job. Well, you know, we can get you a little bit of this. We can break you off a little bit of that. We'll see if there's something left over. But other people who have been prosperous and made this work, that's not the way they do it. They make sure that these other people, all they got to do is have a damn idea, and there's a bunch of folk lined up to invest in their idea. Black people, no matter how good your idea is, they lock the door before you've ever had an opportunity to open it. And that's the goal. That's the game. And don't tell me about quality controls. Don't tell me about what black vendors and quality control or do they do it as well. Damn it, China is giving Walmart toys that poison children for years now. China is selling Walmart toys that mangle and cripple and kill children. That and Walmart has only gotten deeper into bed with China, not less into bed with them. You want to talk about not meeting standards? Well, that was never an impediment to China doing business with Walmart. That's never been an impediment. But you're going to come to black folks and say, oh, you don't have enough capacity. This product isn't up to code. What the hell? And understand, this goes back to point number one. When you sit down to have this conversation with Walmart, on the agenda is black people and black people only, not minorities, not people of color, not women. And if you don't like it, we're going to pull your business license and we'll have somebody else occupying your building. And we'll just do it like that. Mohammed Mossadegh didn't ask the British if they were going to start dealing fairly with Iran. He simply said, your contracts say you're supposed to be giving us half this oil profit and you've given us a couple of pennies on the barrel. We are seizing control of your assets. We are nationalizing your assets. And it's no longer a debate of what you will do. You will do it because you don't control it anymore. And in black cities, while you're talking about cracking down on the police, you need to crack down on these businesses. Because black folk actually have some assets and resources and legacy to pass down. You're going to cities across the country. Black people are 25% of the population of New York City and practically none of the city contracts. And that brings me to the next issue. Because if you notice, this says mandatory public and private contracts. 
Because across this country right now, you have black people who are 10%, 20%, 30% of the population, but the contracts go to white companies. So you're the majority of the population, but the contracts for the streets and everything else, you don't get to build your own streets. You don't get to make your own parks. You don't get to develop your own dog parks. They sat here and told you, oh, you're just going to live here. Don't worry. In some cases, they'll bring white folk from out of state. Louisiana, where I'm from, is very good for that, but a bunch of other places are too. They're, they go to places specifically, they like to go to Texas. Texas is a place that they really like to get contractors from. They really love getting contractors out of Texas, New Jersey, and California. Those are the three major places when you see freeways being built and whatnot, if they don't have anybody in their area who can build it, they go find one of these white corporations in New Jersey, Texas, or California to do it. How the hell are you going to have a city with a 30% black population, but when it's time to build the roads and build the freeways and build the schools and build the parks and build the infrastructure, all of a sudden, okay, black folk, you just go home absolutely wrong we're gonna bring in illegal aliens to do it absolutely not if this is a black city we will take care of building it for ourselves but you have to also understand how this psychologically cripples you if you spent your entire life in the majority black city but white folk have done all the infrastructure maintenance then you've grown up your whole life with nobody in your family talking about that. So you just accept the idea that, hey, that ain't for us. That's not what we're supposed to do. White folks supposed to take care of that. So there's nobody in your family to even give you a frame of reference. Up there in New York and New Jersey, it's in the family businesses. White boys all over the damn place doing the sidewalk work, doing the street work, and you can figure it'd be better with the horrible condition the streets are in in those places. You figure it'd be better, but they sit up here and keep those positions for themselves. If it's a black city, especially if it's a majority black city, all of the contracts should go to a black contractor. And if there is a white one, if you just can't find a black one, you need to implement the China protocol. You're going to get a white contractor and you're going to say, say hello to your new 50-50 partners. And every morning you are going to go over the books, go over the procedure, go over the plans, go over the blueprints, go over the numbers. And you're, everybody is going to know how to set up this building, this freeway, this project when it is done. And if you don't like the fact that we're going to give you 50% of the last contract, I got a question for you, Mr. White Supremacy Contractor. Would you like to have 50% of the last contract? Or would you like to have 0% of the last contract? Understand, that's not something that would take decades to see, to see cataclysmic changes happen. You would see economic earthquakes happen within a matter of 12 months. Let me tell you, when that type of money starts moving, you will see economic earthquakes.
earthquakes happen in black society within a matter of months. It will take months to do that, not years, certainly not decades. And you'll be, you'll see changes in progress happen so damn fast it will make your head spin off of your shoulders. And let me be clear, the bidding starts at 20%. It doesn't end there. It doesn't start at 20%. I mean, it doesn't end at 20%. It simply starts there. We've got young black boys today. When I was a child, you had black men who were doing the construction work. They brought over illegals specifically for the purposes of making sure that you had these buffer classes who would join the shrinking white population in victimizing us. And we've been voting for integration. We've been voting for interracial sexual access. Do you understand the insanity of what our priorities have been? They're bringing over non-black people for the express purposes of replacing us. And we're jumping up here talking about, you know what we need is more love and more interracial babies is what we need. So you've got some dumb niggas who just play right in their hands. easy to understand what the currency of Africa will be backed by. It's the easiest currency in the world to back. Very good. And for me, the Freedom Plan is a blueprint. And people used to ask me, look, so what are you going to do crypto and this and that? I said, crypto in America is crypto. My crypto in Africa is not the American crypto. Mm. So my it crypto is. in Africa is that we have paper. I'm giving you gold. You know what I mean? And that gold Anytime you can flip it to the paper, but if you don't flip it to the paper, your value is going up. So mm -hmm. I was doing that to strip every goddamn currency on the continent, you know, and that was my way to respond to the Western world and the Asian world. That you know, this guy is not just intelligent, he's a conqueror. Because I'm not telling you that stop spending your currency is no value. I don't have time for that. I bring you the easiest solution for you to see what value is. And you exchange everything and shred all the currencies, and then you start to have one currency. Then we can now talk. That for me, that's unity. Because the only thing that will make us come together to do this is how we can trade with each other. What can we give each other? And what can we take in return? Okay? That will not make us need someone to give us something that we think we need. That's the first thing to create United States of Africa. The first thing we need to do. I appreciate my pops for teaching me how to be a guy. As God supposed to always move with that higher self. God has to be able to execute. You have the knowledge is not power, the execution of knowledge is power. Knowledge makes a man unfit to be a slave. Because the only real knowledge you can get is knowledge yourself. The highest level is ownership. The highest level is power. The highest level is sovereignty. The highest level is higher power. The highest level is we own our own 
Family of Lights and Keys, welcome back to another high level conversation. Today we are here at a special benchmark in time. It is a representation of two entities colliding like stars to create a new universe. And in this collision, we're able to witness an observation that has not been seen before or has not been captured before. And the reasons that it has not been captured before, the same reasons that plague us as a diaspora. And today is about the unification and the reconnection of those energies bringing back together. We want to hear high level observations from a man who has been able to captivate the hearts and minds of his own people as a humanitarian, as a leader of wisdom, as a man of wealth and power, a man who obtained the title of philanthropist which is someone who serves the people and someone who gives. A man who has reached into his own mind and he has found a beast to be able to conquer in this world that is a jungle. A man who does not make excuses, who does not utilize, you know, the limitations that the world often place upon men when they give them boxes to check and tell them what they can and cannot be. It is a man who is a strategist. He knows who think his way through anything Anything that opposes him either gets pressed out of the way or gets stepped on to become a ladder towards the success. Great strategists throughout the world create campaigns and philosophies to live by. They stick by those philosophies. But men of vision are not just men that seek to destroy at all. They are men that seek to, to build, architecting from their thoughts and then showing the world what is inside them in representation from the immaterial to the material. And when human beings have the ability to be in their rare conquest of self, then they can showcase that out to the world. These individuals are often unrepresented or even unappreciated, but sometimes you have the rareness for people to smell the sweet flowers of their success to the gratitude of the people that they serve and that they help. Today, this person that I've had the opportunity to spend a few days with here in Africa, learning more about Ghana, learning more about his visions, learning more about his philanthropy, and also learning about the spirit of revolutionary that speaks and that is deep within his brother's soul as he has the ability to speak truth and power from a perspective from someone who has gained and reached a position that most would never be able to ever see. This is a billionaire. This is um, uh, a man who has a very um, unique palette of taste and style, right? Everything that you can think of from those people that you are impressed by, this man hones in on those things and he has those same assets, but that is not what makes this man valuable. What makes him valuable is the inspiration that you can see from the success of the things that he's done. He's known around the world, now he's going to be known to your world. I'm speaking on none other than one of the most powerful and influential men in Africa, the Prince of Africa, Freedom. Thank you. My brother, welcome. Thank you. And the same way, absolutely. First of all, I'd like to thank you for this opportunity. I've come this far in life, not only by humility, by other obstacles in life that people have underestimated. And for me, this is a great opportunity to have put me on your platform so my message can be heard. There's a lot of people who have realized that you have a gift 
So right now, I feel like you're sharing your gift with me, and I want to say thank you. Likewise. So let's just jump right into it. We are in a beautiful space in your office, you know, um, and I was able to meet some of your staff and your team. And since I've been out here, I've been introduced to some of the things that you've built and things that you're building. And I've seen the esteem that the people hold you in, which is very high regard. We go to the city and we go visit the slave dungeon or castle and the people are screaming, freedom, freedom, freedom. First, I want to know, you know, how did you get 